tonight, I want to talk about a story that's in the Bible that for a long time I read it and was like, that's just weird. And finally, for like the first time the other day I was reading it, I was like, oh, I get it. So I, I want to share my I get it moment with you. And so we're going to turn to one of the weird stories in the Bible. Luke chapter 16, verse 1, the unjust steward. So a couple of you guys are like, I've read that story. It's weird. Um, Jesus starts this story out, and a lot of people will call it a parable, and I'm not sure that it's actually a parable. I think it may have been a story that everybody knew. I think it may have been a headline that he mentioned going, hey, there's this guy. Because he starts it out rather than going, hey, um, the kingdom is like, he just goes, says to his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward. He goes, there's a certain man, and it may still have been a parable, but by the way that Jesus goes about this, I think it may have been a story that he was referencing because everybody knew about this story. But he goes through, he's like, hey, so there's this, this certain rich guy, and he hears that one of his stewards, one of the guys that takes care of his business, is doing some sketchy stuff. And so he calls him into accounts and goes, hey, what's this that I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship for you can no longer be a steward, a.k.a. you're fired. Um, but he, he has, gives him a little time to get everything together so that he can pass things on correctly to the next guy. Well, says, then when the steward said to himself, what shall I do? He has this, oh no, what am I going to do moment? I just lost my job. I like eating. Eating requires money. Say, well, I could go, what other job could I get since you know, I lost my stewardship? Well, I could go get a job doing manual labor, but I'm a wimp. That's not going to work. I can't shovel all day long. I'm not strong enough, so that's not. So what other option? Well, I could beg, but I'm too proud. What am I going to do? And so he has this idea. He goes, I know what I'm going to do. And he calls all of his master's debtors to him. And he goes, all right, guys, come here. Um, how much do you owe my master? And one guy says, a hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. So the master commended the unjust steward because he dealt shrewdly, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. Okay, does anyone else think that's weird? Okay, why does he commend the guy who just robbed him? Because in a sense, that's what he just did. And I read this, and, I, and I've read it so many times, like, this is so weird. And then Jesus continues, and he says, And I say to you, make friends for yourself by unrighteous mammon, or money, that when, you that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is also faithful in much. He who is unjust in what is least is also unjust in much. Therefore, if... You have not been faithful with unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what's another man's, who will give you what's your own? And so he just goes through this story, and he just shares about this guy who scammed his boss so that he could make friends that would take care of him when he didn't have a job anymore. And then Jesus is like, hey, the, the master says, well done on being shrewd. We should be more shrewd. And then he gives this lesson on being just saying that if you're faithful a little, 
you'd be faithful with much. If you're unfaithful with little, you'd be unfaithful with much. And who would entrust to you true riches if you can't be faithful with money? And I'm like, are, what is going on? And, and as I look at this, I realize it's, it's what makes me think it was a story because Jesus, after finishing this, begins to take apart things he wants to make sure you don't get distracted. He wants to make sure that you don't take the wrong things out of the story. He's like, don't get me wrong and don't start stealing from people to set yourself up because that's not the point. He goes, if you're unfaithful with little, you're unfaithful much, don't steal. He goes, if you can't be faithful with money, you can't be faithful with important things. He goes, this, that's, that's not what I'm commending. In verse 13, he goes through and says, no servant can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he'll be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or God and money. So he, he stops and makes the point. He goes, I don't want you to live for money. The point that I'm making out of this story is not that you should rob people. So I'm like, all right, so what point are you making? And so I went back to verse eight where he actually commends him. He says, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. And I looked up shrewd. And in fact, I looked it up in a bunch of different dictionaries because I'm like, I always pictured shrewd as kind of being evil. I'm like, just that's the picture. But as I begin to look things up, the word that he actually used has to do with being keenly aware of the future and taking practical action now. So what he was commending was not the thievery. In fact, at the end of the section, he goes through and points out that this guy is unjust and goes, the people of the world, uh, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. What is he saying? These selfish people are doing a better job of looking at the future and basing their choices that they're making today on what's going to happen tomorrow than the people of the kingdom, the people of the light. He goes, you need to be someone that looks ahead and bases your decision not just on the moment, but on what is coming. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, it says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where neither thieves break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And he's going through this thing saying, look, you're going to steer your heart and your heart, your, your wallet and your heart will be connected. And the point that he makes off this unjust steward is he goes, he is basing what he's doing today on what's going to happen tomorrow. Are you basing your decisions today on what's happening today or on what's going to happen tomorrow? Because if you make today's choice at the expense of tomorrow, you pay more. And it's, it's this principle that grows across the board that America is horrible with. We are probably one of the worst at this in the world. Americans as a whole trade today, trade tomorrow for today, and are in misery because of it. Um, anyone like cars? Anyone like to have a nice car? Okay. So I did a little bit of research. Um, actually, I pulled some old notes and checked to see if the prices were still about the same. If you have a, if you decided, you know what, I don't have all the money in the world to buy a super fancy car, but I want something nice. I live in Michigan, so say I want to buy a new Ford Escape. 
You go, it's, it's new. It's not, you know, it's going to cost me about $23,824. Um, I think that's only, I think they had a $500 incentive. But, you know, it's, so that's for the base model. If you want more toys, you can spend more, but we'll just go off that. But if you don't have $23,000, you can get a loan. Um, I think right now it's at 3.5 is what they'll give you. But let's just say you did it at 2.7. You finance it for 72 months. That means your monthly payment will be $358.79 a month. In two years, your car will be worth $13,000 private party value. You'll owe $16,306. If you try to trade it in, your car would only be worth $11,500. And this, this, this concept that as you take tomorrow's money, tomorrow's money, you pay a penalty for taking it before tomorrow starts. And then you're still paying that money back when tomorrow comes and you have to face all of tomorrow's financial challenges. Not only do you not have money saved, but you have money taken that you already spent. So you have less and these people end up in a pickle. But a bunch of you guys say, well, I won't buy a new car. I can get a used one. Great. Let me uh, give you a fun one. Any of you guys like TVs? Computers? Um, okay, so if you were to buy a TV on a credit card for 500 bucks, you would pay, if you just made your minimum payments, you'd have your TV paid off in eight years and you would have paid $939. Now, if you were to bump it up a little bit and go, all right, I want a computer for $1,000, it'll take you 19 years to pay it off. This is with the average credit card with a interest rate of 18%. Um, and you would pay $1,900 in interest and have paid um, $2,899 for your computer. Now, I got this the other day. I, had a, I was looking at my credit card statement, and we'd, we put a bunch of things on the card and paid off every month, and we had a bunch of things that happened in one month, so I had to put new tires on the truck, and I had to fix the brakes, and I had to do this, and that. And I got a high bill, and I was looking at the minimum payment. It was like 24 bucks or 34 bucks. I'm like, what kind of an idiot would make the minimum payment? Like, I understand that things can happen where you have to maybe, but you're like, oh, something, but you're stuck. If you just make the minimum payments, I'm like, you'd be in debt for the rest of your life. They said if you had a $2,500 credit, if you'd maxed out $2,500, made no more purchases and no extra payments, just the minimum payments, it would take you 34 years to pay off your credit card. You would pay $6,281 in interest with a grand total of $8,781 for that $2,500 item. Why? Because when you borrow from the future to have in the present, it costs you more. Has anyone ever procrastinated? Has anyone ever gotten in trouble for procrastinating too long? Maybe the paper didn't turn out so good because it's a research paper and you didn't start it until the night before it was due. Or I might have been guilty of that one once. Um, yeah, talk about doing your papers in the wrong order. Did that one time. You got like five papers. You're like, sweet, started on some of them and then found out the night before they were due, the last paper that I had to do was a research paper. I'm like, well, I should have done this one first. 
Yeah, it didn't go so well. Anyways, um, but procrastination is the art of pushing back what I know I should for what I want. What I want to do now. What's easier, what's more fun. A lot of times it's, you know what, do I want to do my homework or do I want to go hang with friends? Do I want to do this or that looks like more fun? Maybe that looks like it'll feel better when I do it because it's going to be lots of little accomplishments rather than the big thing I need to do. There are different ways that it breaks down. But when I set, when I do what I do for right now, I pay the price later. And my, my wife is amazing at not procrastinating. Um, I sometimes struggle with procrastinating. My wife does not. She's like, I'm going to get ready for a trip. I'm like, sweet. We're going to go somewhere in a month. Yeah. I'm like, what's that over the corner? That's my bag. <laughs> what's your bag doing there? We're going on a trip. In a month. I know. I started packing. Can you believe it? I waited until this month. I'm like, what? <laughs> She's like, yeah. I'm like, in college, she said she procrastinated one time to do an assignment. When I say procrastinated, it's not like most of us who like drank coffee because we had to do it all through the night and then had to try to make it through your classes the next day. It was, she waited till like, the day before, two days before, whatever it was. But when some friends, she'd passed up doing it when she was originally going to, to do something a little bit of fun, oh, on a 10-point scale, like with a two. And then she had to do it because it was going to be coming due that like the next day, a bunch of friends invited her to do something that was like an eight on the, on the fun scale. And she's like, I can't because I'm stuck doing the assignment I didn't do for that lame two. This is stupid. Never again. And she started looking further ahead and making choices based on what was coming rather than just for the moment. And I got thinking about this, and I got thinking about this parable, the story, and it reminded me of a parable that Jesus tells as well. Jesus tells a story, and it's, it's a really powerful story in one verse. I'm going to read you a really powerful story. Matthew 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found covered up and then in his joy goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And if you just quick read the story, you're like, ah, what, the, the, what happened? You don't think much about it. But he says he sells all that he has. If you picture this, this is somebody who, who's going along one day and he finds something as he's walking through the woods. He's walking through a field. So you picture somebody who's, who's walking through the field and is walking around, walking home from somewhere, Take something, and he steps down and hears something hollow. Dum, dum. What do you do if you step on something hollow out in the woods? Dig it up. What did I find? And so curiosity gets the best of him and starts moving some dirt around. Finds this big old chest. What's in this chest? Beats open the chest. Opens it up. Finds a bunch of gold. Finds like old records in there, finds out this is some like buried Spanish treasure from the 1800s. He's like, score! But if I take this, technically, well, when I take this, if I take this, they're going to ask me, where did you get a chest full of gold? There are millions of dollars in this chest. If I tell them, 
it technically belongs to the person who owns the field. Shut the chest, shut the, bury the chest, go, hey, would you ever possibly consider maybe selling your property? You know, I'd really like to buy the back five acres, you know. I, I, I don't know. What would it take to get you to sell those back couple acres? I don't know. I don't really want to sell them, you know. Uh, $250,000, I'd probably sell it. Okay. $250,000. And that guy's going to go home and he's like, well, you know, right now I'm paying this much on my house. My house is worth this much. So if I sell my house, you know, you know, I'm not that far from work. Maybe I can sell my car and so that I can use a bicycle. If I sell my house, sell my car, then if I can eBay the rest of my stuff, and then, you know, if I pick up a second job, well, I can't do a delivery if I just sold my car. That's, not, that's out. What else can I do that's close? And so he sells his house, sells his car, starts riding his bike everywhere, starts eBaying most of his stuff, selling his TV, selling these different things, living on the cheapest apartment that he could find, biking to work. What do people do? Dude, you're weird. What are you doing? Do you just don't, I, I, I have a dream, and I'm going to see it come to pass. Dude, you're weird. You, you just don't get it. It's all right. And does he, does he stop and go, people just don't understand me. No. He goes, suckers. <laughs> He's pedaling to work and he's doing, you know, he's working double shifts and he's doing everything that he can, trying to rack up any overtime. He sells the house, sells the car, and he's like, all right, all right, I've got enough money that they're going to, with this, I can get it alone for the rest and I'm going to buy this five acres. And he goes and he buys this five acres and he closes on this five acres. And then what does he do? He runs in there and pulls out his chest and goes, yes! And then he goes, and he's like, I'm a millionaire. People go, where'd you get that? Now we get it. Now we understand why for the last two years you've been biking to work, sold your house, sold your car, have been working every double that you possibly could because you knew what laid ahead. And in order to get those millions of dollars, you made a sacrifice on the front side because you knew what was on the other side. And to everybody who didn't understand, they looked at you and were like, you're weird. You're giving things up for what? For why? And I thought about this. I thought about the story of the unjust steward. I said, that's it. What Jesus is getting at is the man or woman who doesn't just look at go, what will make me happy right now? but goes, what's on the other side? And how do I live for that? And I, and I, I titled, entitled my notes just the day. Because it's the day that you're living for, that we all get to decide. Am I living for today? Or am I living for that day? Are you living for the day when the land is finally yours? When you can finally declare all of that. Because Jesus makes this promise and he says, I am coming back. And I've been thinking a lot about Jesus' return. I've been listening to a bunch of different series and, and going through stuff about the rapture and stuff about heaven. And I've been listening to um, 
a, uh, going through a book on heaven. I've been actually listening to Randy Alcorn's book on heaven, which is a really good book if you've got questions on heaven. And as, as I've been going through all of this, I've been thinking about this picture and this idea that we're going to stand in front of God. And as you hear about end times and all that's going on in the world, you realize that Jesus' return is going to be really soon. What's really soon? I don't know. It's not like, uh, set your clocks. You have 15 hours, 15 seconds. Like, no. Um, I would, I'd very much not be surprised to see it in the next two years. Um, there's a lot of stuff that's, that's lining up that looks like it may. Might be 10 years. I don't think it'll be more than 15 years. So... What's on the other side? Because when Jesus comes back, and I may actually take a couple weeks because Jesus tells a bunch of parables about this, about when he comes back, about what's going to happen and about different people's responses. But what if Jesus came back right now? Would you be like, crud! I wanted to do a couple things before you came back, but I thought... I had a couple of years. Would you be like, yes, I'm so ready. If, if I could tell you when Jesus was coming back, if I could tell you, hey, you have three months, four days, 12 hours, and 52 seconds, what would you do? And start thinking about this, going, what, what would I do if I knew when the end was, how long I had? Well, you're like, well, you get ready, duh. Like, you share the gospel with anyone that you want to make sure that you've shared it with, and you forgive people quickly because you know that either you're like, you're going to give account for this in front of the Lord God Almighty, and you're like, you know what? God forgave me. I'm going to stand in front of God. I want to tell him that I forgave them. And, and all of a sudden, your whole perspective begins to shift. Why? Because you know that this day is coming. And that you know how far out. And you're like, I am getting ready because I'm about to see Jesus. And I'm going to stand in front of Jesus. And I'm going to give an account for my life. I'm thinking. I, don't, I, I can't tell you that you have three months and four days, 12 hours, and 50, or 11 hours, and 54 seconds. Like, I, I can't give you. <laughs> yeah, but that was a minute ago. <laughs> but here's the, the thing. Am I living for that day or for this day? Because if I live for that day, and this is what he tells us with the story of the unjust servant. He goes, he commends him for living for the future day and goes, you make friends in eternity with your choices today. He goes, what these guys were doing good that he commends is they were making choices based on tomorrow. They're making the choices today rather than basing their tomorrow on, on, rather than robbing their tomorrow for today, they gave up their today for their tomorrow. 
And I got thinking going, well, what about us? What about me? What am I, why am I making choices? Am I setting up my future or am I robbing my future for my present? Am I making choices that make me ready for that day? And it, it, it's a fun, now it can be fun, it can be kind of scary. If, you look at, if, if, if you're doing it wrong, like, oh, duh, I've been robbing my future. Great, fix it. Um, the only thing I know for sure is that Jesus hasn't come yet. So, you have some amount of time and you get to make the choice going today's choices I will stand in front of him for so if I'm living for that day how do I reflect that at my school how do I reflect that in my family how does that reflect in the way that I respond to my parents how does that reflect in the way that I go to work going you know what I may be the only Jesus that my boss ever sees. I may be the only Jesus that my teacher ever sees. I may be the only representative that they see. So what am I going to do? Am I living for this day or for that day? The day that I get to stand in front of God. I'll play with that story later. If you're here and say, you know, I've been living for this day. I've been robbing my future for today. I've been making choices based on what I thought would make me happy right now. But I want to give my life to God. I want to begin to live for the day that I stand in front of him, the day that I give an account for the life that he gave me. I want to give you a chance to declare him to be Lord and to begin to live for him. Can everyone bow their heads and close their eyes? If that's you, say, you know what, today I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want to live ready for his return. I want him to be Lord. I want to know that I'm right with him. When I count to three, I want you to raise your hand. One, get ready. Two, three, raise up your hands nice and high. So that's me. Awesome. See your hand and your hand and your hand. Closest, that's me. Awesome. You can put your hands down. Most important decision that we ever make. To decide to live for God to receive his gift. We're going to say a simple prayer. We're going to call on him. We're going to declare him to be Lord of our lives and we're going to begin to live for him every day. So whether you say, hey, today I made that, making that decision or say, you know what, hey, I've already done that, then go ahead and join us. Go ahead and say, God, I'm sorry for the wrong things I've done. I believe that you died, rose again, and are coming again. Thank you for washing my sins away. I want to live for you every day. I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.